Um, this week we're continuing our sermon series, our message series on 1 John, the book of 1 John in the New Testament. Um, and the name of the series is Living in the Light. The Apostle John, the disciple, the one who walked with Christ, uh, who touched him, talked to him, was with him, writes this letter to the church at Ephesus and the churches surrounding Ephesus to be uh, passed around to encourage them in their faith. They live in a very secular society, a very secular culture, right? Um, and so he wrote this letter and is writing to them, and he's writing to us this morning as well. You know, I just finished my second semester of being back in seminary. I went, graduated 25 years ago or something like that, and so I just decided to torture myself. And um, in the fall, started going back, and then this past semester was tough. I realized I've, for, I've forgotten how to study. <laughs> I've forgotten how to. One of my teachers reminded me I forgot how to uh, write a paper without plagiarizing also. But um, I, didn't, I didn't totally do that. But, um, but I'm noticing that things are not coming as easily to me as it did when I was in my 20s. I've just forgotten how to do things. And I just finished finals a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if you're in school or you remember when you were in school. Um, what was the easiest type of question to answer? What's your name? <laughs> what kind of test are you taking? <laughs> true or false, right? That's what they say, true or false. It's just kind of, you could flip a coin, it's 50-50. It's but true or false for me has, have always been the most difficult. Because like short answer, essay answer, that kind of stuff, I can kind of, if I know a little bit about it, I, I can kind of make my way through it and get some points at least. Um, or if it's, uh, you know, multiple choice, I can kind of eliminate some, use logic. I don't know, but true or false is just intimidating to me because it's like you either got the right one or you don't, right? It's either true or it is false. Um, actually, just so you know, by the way, uh, the me knowing the true answer was not usually an option. So uh, I had to deal with it this way. But in reality, true and false is very cut and dry. And um, when it comes to Jesus this morning, it's pretty cut and dry. What is true about Jesus? What is true about the gospel? And what is false? And John is writing a church here who is uh, beginning to be infiltrated with some error, with some false messages, um, some false answers, bless you, are making their way around the church here in Ephesus. And they're false in a sense that they are incorrect. And he's challenging and equipping these Christians, he's writing to Christians here, to be able to identify these falsehoods, these errors. And it's not just this particular issue that they're dealing with um, that's front and center in this first century church, but he's speaking to all of us as we seek to know the truth of who God is and recognize the lies that are also out there. And so um, what they were dealing with in the church at Ephesus is not the only time that there will be challenges. There, it's not the only time that there will be a challenge to the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel. It's not the first time in the church. It's not the first time in society. And it's not the first time in your heart and in my heart. We have this battle that's going on, and we're going to talk about it 
this morning. So today's message is entitled, True or False? My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes and mine to the reality of this battle that is happening every day in your life and in mine. That we would come, to fa- come face to face with Christ this morning, put your faith and your trust in him, and in turn be able to identify the lies of the world so that you may ultimately walk in the truth and in the light of Jesus Christ. So First John, we're just going to do the first seven verses here. First John chapter 4. It'll be on the screen or if you have something to, to read it on in your hand, feel free. Verse 1 of chapter 4 in 1 John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you to to move this morning. I don't have anything clever or intellectual enough to say that will change anybody's eternity, change anybody's mind. But God, you do. Holy Spirit, you have the power this morning. So speak through the word this morning and change us. In Christ's name, amen. So again, uh, John is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding cities. It's a big influential city at the time. Um, it's a major port city, great importance, um, great importance uh, in the world in the first century here. Um, and as John has been encouraging Christians throughout this letter to walk in the light of Christ because they live in a world of darkness and to demonstrate love. First John, one of the major themes of First John is love. They've received love. You and I have received love and been changed through Christ, and so walk that way, live that way. And here at the beginning of chapter 4, he's giving a challenge. Now, he knows that there are lies being taught and spread in the church, and we see uh, in John and also in Paul's writings that these apostles, these disciples of Jesus, understand that the opposition, opposition is great in which they live, and they understood they were the gatekeepers. They were calling the church back to Jesus over and over again. And so um, the reality is this. Jesus was rejected and put to death, and he said there will always be attacks on the truth. There will always be other spirits attacking the truth. There will always be temptations for Christians to adjust the truth, to, to adjust the truth to fit our culture, to fit our politics, our popularity, what feels right, even in good ways sometimes. We want to be good people. We want to be nice people. We want to be sweet people. And so we... We begin to adjust. And so this morning, I want to talk about this temptation 
to adjust the truth. And so we look at these few verses. There's a great challenge and great encouragement in regards to being able to know the difference between what is true and what is false. And the first thing is, understand that there is a battle going on. You and I have to understand that. And I know this feels kind of icky to talk about. Like, come on, you know, you got, we got all the beautiful flowers on there. Let's talk about pleasant things. This is all pleasant. This is all joy. This is all how to have joy in Jesus Christ. This is all about how to have abundant life, walking in freedom, right? This is all about that. But we have to, to understand that there is a battle going on. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, you are rescued. You are You are justified before the Father because of the blood of Jesus, not because you do enough good works or go to church enough, any of those things, but because you've said, you know what, I can't live holy on my own. I can't make myself right before God, but Jesus can. And so it's not about that, but it's about this attack in this fallen world and in our flesh that is still happening. It's happening to you today, yesterday. It's going to happen tomorrow, and so we can't be ignorant of that. He says in verse 4, Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, the spiritual battle takes many forms. What was happening in this culture, in this early church, had seeped in was Jesus plus philosophy. You know, in the ancient Greek world, philosophy was huge. They would sit in the town square and debate philosophy and talk about these intellectual pursuits and just like uh, many of us do with college football or whatever. And so it was about philosophy and it began to kind of creep in. This human intellect began to creep into the church. And it was tough in that culture because it was a lot of intellectuals. There was a lot of um, thinkers of the day. And so naturally it started to kind of seep in because those in the church would go out and live in the church. Just like when we finish here, we'll go live in the church. And they began to kind of soak up some of the philosophy of the world around them. But there is an attack that takes many forms spiritual on your life. And it takes different forms. And that day it was this philosophical thought and human intellect. But it's a real thing. There's an author, a Christian author named Frank Peretti. I don't know if he's still around, but he used to write Christian fiction books. And back in the 80s, like 1985, he wrote a book called This Present Darkness. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Now, I wouldn't base my doctrine or theology on it, but it was an interesting book. Um, And basically, um, it was about this Christian pastor in a small town and also a skeptical reporter. And they teamed up to try and figure out what was going on. Something was happening in the town. And so he kind of pulled the veil back and you could see the spiritual warfare that was happening, demons and different things that were happening. And people just thought, oh, they were changing their mind about this or making a decision about that. But actually there was this spiritual war going on all, all around them and they didn't realize it. I remember I picked up, somebody recommended it when I was in Bible college. I picked it up, you know, because I wanted to read everything. And I, I got a little ways through it and I just kind of put it down. It was freaking me out. You just start to think differently. There is a spiritual war going on. There's an attack. Ephesians six twelve says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is something happening that we cannot see. And a lot of times it's very subtle in our own personal lives, in the life of the church. It comes in, it dresses in in a real cool way, a nice way, but takes root and brings destruction. And so this attack, attack happens a few different ways. First of all, it happens because of Satan's influence. Satan is real and he is moving. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. See, Satan plays on our weaknesses. Satan this morning is playing. As soon as I said the word Satan, some of us said, oh, come on. He uses those things. He, he plays on our pride. He plays on our fear. He plays on the same weaknesses today as he did then. You don't need God. You need you. God is logical. It's, it's much more, it's just about what you can figure out. Remember how Satan dealt with Adam and Eve? Genesis 3.1, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree? That's how he, he came in to her pride there. Did he actually say? And then he went on in verse 4 says, you will surely not die. He said, you're going to die? Surely that's not going to happen. It doesn't even make sense. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Satan is pitting us against our loving heavenly father who created us, loves us, knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you thought. He knows what you actually mean when you speak. He knows it all. And he loves you, and yet Satan plays on those things. He pits us against God. He's seeking to isolate us. You ever see an animal who has been hurt, is injured, and is in a corner, doesn't want anybody to touch them because they've been hurt? They don't want you, they don't trust you? That's what Satan does. He isolates us and starts to push us into the corner to where we go. Nobody understands. Nobody, nobody gets it. He lies to us. And it doesn't take much, like I said. If he can just get us to shift our focus off of Christ and onto myself and my own circumstances, that's enough. But that's because he has a willing accomplice. It's not just Satan, it's our flesh. He plays to our flesh. This original word here for test the spirits, that word spirit, pneuma, has two dimensions to it, right? The first is this spirit higher than man but lower than God, like an angel or a demon. But it also has the meaning of, quote, the rational spirit, the power by which the human being feels, thinks, decides. See, this word is always personified. It's not some mysticism. It's not a mist. And so, yes, we attack ourselves. Satan moves. He puts things in your life. He moves a spirit of deception. But if we couldn't be moved, he would have no effect. These spirits would have no effect, but we're, we're ready and willing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for some options. James 1.14, but each person is tempted when Satan... Atta- no, no, no. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We blame a lot on the devil. He has to have a willing accomplice. And because our bodies are fallen... We battle with fallen desires. Though this world is fallen, we struggle. 
Remember, the Holy Spirit is another advocate. We talked about this several months ago. Jesus described the Holy Spirit as another advocate. What does that mean? Jesus is our advocate before the Father. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to step in and say, hey, Steve's cool, I know, give him a break, he messed up. No, Jesus stands there as the legal payment for our sins. So before the Father, we are justified. Then what is the Holy Spirit an advocate of? The Holy Spirit is an advocate of your wretched heart and mine. Because my heart does two things. Our hearts are messed up, right? My heart does two things. It either wants to let me off the hook, say, you're good, you don't need that, but you're fine. And the Holy Spirit comes in and Jesus said he convicts of sin. But our hearts will also condemn us and we'll, we'll live in shame. We'll walk in guilt and condemnation. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, ah, no, no, no. Jesus has got you. Jesus has got you. You are redeemed. You are not lost. But if we don't understand that, that it is a spiritual battle that is whole. Uh, taking place around us, then we get lazy, we leave ourselves vulnerable to Satan's attacks, and we don't walk according to the Spirit, listening to the Spirit who is advocating for us. So we have to understand what's happening. Be sober-minded, be watchful, as Peter warned us. And so John is not saying that we are being tested by God. No. He's telling Christians, apply the test to the spirits. Think critically, But to, to test the spirits in your life, you've got to know the right answer. We've got to know the correct answer. We've got to know the truth, which is the next point. Verse 2, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Listen, the truth is Jesus plus nothing or minus nothing. See, what was happening here in Ephesus was in a, an attempt to put Jesus into this intellectual box that was comfortable to them, to tame him, adjust the truth of Jesus just a little bit. It was this rise in Gnosticism, right? And, and what they said in this Gnosticism was that the spirit is holy and the flesh is evil, and so there's no way that Jesus could have been both God and man. So they would give he was God, but there was no way he was in the flesh. And what you saw was just kind of a, a mist. It was an illusion. And that just, because that didn't make sense to them. And we'll look at that more in just a second. But the important thing here to know is that we must know Jesus and the truth of who he is. First of all, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that's what they struggled with in the church at Ephesus. Philippians Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, tells us that although Jesus was fully God, he emptied himself, he humbled himself to be born of a woman and to die on the cross. So Jesus is fully God, fully man. Jesus is Savior of the world. Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is risen and coming again. Matthew 28, 6. The angel said, he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, there will be a day when the Son of Man returns. Be ready. Jesus is the giver of abundant life, right? That's what he said in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. We've got to be clear on who Christ is. You may say, I've heard all those verses. 
The focus of our faith must be Jesus. I have people that come to me all the time, especially since I've gotten here in New York City, and they have a real issue with the church. And you know, unfortunately, most of the time I say, yes, you're exactly right. And now they got nothing. They want to attack the church. They want to attack the headlines. Look at the stance they had on this. Look at the, So what? Look at Jesus. And we at the church, as the church, we want to defend the church. You don't have to defend the church. Push into Jesus. Press into Jesus. Know who Jesus is. Tell people, I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus never fails. So let's quit holding out our brand as a church, and let's hold out Jesus. Let's demonstrate Jesus in the way that we live our lives. He is the giver of abundant life. He is the only way, truth, and life. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So church, Christians, settle that in your heart this morning. If you're on the fence about any of that or any of the scriptures regarding Christ, what they say, then that is first and foremost priority in your life. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Listen, that is number one in your life and in my life. Put Jesus on the throne. As long as you're on the throne, every new doctrine, every new whim in the culture, every new Instagram post, you're going to be like, hmm, well, I don't know. That makes a little bit of sense. Press into Jesus. Sanctify him. Settle that in your heart. Some of us are playing a religious game, and it's a dangerous game. God is not mocked. See, what happens when we go through just some of the motions and just want to get a little religious mojo going in our lives, or it's just how we're raised, because what happens is then the hard times come, our heart attacks us, our heart condemns us, we're ashamed of our past, we have guilt for our sin because we're not, pre- we're not, we're not casting that on Christ Satan throws you a curveball in your life or just life happens. Then all of a sudden someone says, are you a Christian? You say, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, kind of. We start to slowly compromise because it's become about every other thing else except Jesus you may say, well, I've settled that a long time ago. I accepted Jesus into my heart. No, it's a daily walk. It's an intentionality with my life, setting Jesus on the throne of my heart and life every day. When I hear a message, I'm not looking and thinking about the people to my left or my right, but I'm listening. Holy Spirit, God, speak to me. Speak to me. I need you. I need to hear from you and then obey. Because... Your heart is just like mine. It's prone to wander. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Galatians 2. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, the world will try to bully you. The spirits of the world, the spirit, Satan, evil spirits, your flesh will try to bully you. Settle this in your heart that Christ is Lord. And that brings us to the third point, which is in turn recognize the lies of the world. It says in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The bottom line for you and I this morning, the question you have to ask, is Jesus enough? Because the message from every other spirit in the world, every other microphone in our culture is absolutely, positively not. See, this Gnosticism in Ephesus was just not logical to them. It was influenced by philosophers like Plato, right? It advocated this dualism, asserting that matter was inherently evil and the spirit was good. And so it was impossible that Jesus was both of those things. And so he was like a mirage. And so they started to make little tweaks to the gospel, to who Jesus is. Like he was just a mirage. Like that somehow makes it more intellectual. Also a mirage with... Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. See, that, that philosophy that was going around mattered because many people at, at that time were, who were buying into this philosophy would say, well, you know what? I can't be holy at all. I, can't, I have to be in the flesh. I have to be sinful, so I can just do whatever I want. I don't have to pursue holiness, which is not true. This is why John kept coming back to our sin. And I know that's a word that makes everybody get a little uneasy, but we already know we're broken. Put a different word on it if you want. We're missing the mark of how we were created and designed to live in relationship with God. Remember in chapter 1, John said, if anyone says he has no sin, he makes God out to be a liar. And of course, these Christians wouldn't come out and say you know, that they were Gnostics even. But this rising philosophy in the culture had crept into their own faith and began to get them off track and replace the message of Christ with a type of convoluted, synergistic religion that was centered on human reasoning and compromise and weak faith and ultimately in false conversions. It was Jesus plus philosophy. Today it seems it's Jesus plus a lot of things or, or, or Jesus completely out of it. But a lot of what we hear today is Jesus plus relativism, right? The gospel is just too narrow. We have to apply it in different situations, different circumstances, different situations differently. And so we do backflips as Christians to make it palatable to the world. Even though Jesus said narrow is the road that leads to life and broad is the gate to destruction. I had a pastor tell me this one time. I probably have told you this story. He said, old country pastor in South Alabama he said, Steve, you know, the world, if you're going to be in ministry, you're going to get all kinds of ideas to do all kinds of cool things to draw a crowd. He goes, well, what happens is this. It's like the little kid who sat down to eat dinner and his dad, his mom was working or something and he had to make dinner and he put the plate of food down in front of the kid and the kid said, I don't want that. I don't want to eat. He said, please eat. He was begging him to eat. And he said, no, I don't want to eat that. He said, what can I do to get you to eat? You need nutrition. You need something. He's like, I want to eat worms. I want to eat worms from the dirt outside and the mud. I played with them today. I want, I want to eat those. Dad was like, what? So finally, Dad's wrestling. He goes out in the yard. He digs up worms, puts them on a plate, comes in, puts them in front of the kid. Fine. You got to eat something. There's got to be some protein in those worms. And the kid looks at it and goes, mm, no. 
You eat it. You, you take a bite first. And so finally, after the dad's wrestling with him, the dad takes a bite of worms, got mud on his lip, and he, the kid looks at him and screams, ah, and runs to the back of the house. He locks his door. He is not eating. That's what we've done as Christians. That's what we've done at the, with the church today. We're like, no, 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 look, Jesus is this. Jesus is that. He, he's, he's palatable. You Take it. And they're like, no, change it, change it, change it. Yeah, no thanks. The spirit of the world, the spirit of Satan, our flesh, cries out for something different. We don't want the holiness of God. We turn away from that. This is where we fall away as a church. We want so bad to make people accept Jesus, we compromise the truth, which makes it, by definition, a lie. We see it in our we see it in the church today. We have, a whole cult, we have a whole generation of just come down, just raise your hand, say a prayer, ask Jesus to come into your heart, and that's it. Or name it and claim it. If you've got something you need in your life, just come to Jesus. He'll give it to you. And now we see as, as we're growing up, as people are, are getting in families and they're getting in a difficult world, they start to see there is difficulties. No, I still have to walk through struggles. And now we have all this deconstructing and leaving our faith. We can't pick and choose what is comfortable about Jesus. But church, we've got to be Christian. You've got to be careful to know the truth and make your life about the truth, not all the other things that even in the church we make it about. We want to rail on politics. We want to rail on specific issues. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Press into Jesus. Be aware of the lies that the world is throwing at you. Jesus is never going to be mainstream. He's not. We can print up cool t-shirts and all that stuff. He's not. He's always going to be counter-cultural. Even when we think, even at times in history when it seemed like the church was the main thing going, there was a lot of flesh in there. He says in verse 5, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Listen, take heart, Christian. If your concern is having your lost neighbors and friends come to Christ, you don't have to be clever. You don't have to be tricky. If God is speaking to their hearts, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to their hearts here, what he's saying is they will hear. I'm already speaking. I'm already whispering there. I'm already doing a work in their hearts and lives. If he's not, they won't. But unfortunately, so often our primary concern is not the lost, broken world, but my approval, my acceptance in this world. He says in verse 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So I said recognize the falsehood, right? Recognize the lie. Some of those things I mentioned before about who Jesus is. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The false Jesus would say he was just a good man, but not God. Jesus is the Savior of the world, but the false Jesus says that he's not concerned with our sinfulness. Saved, being saved, what is that? That seems silly. He's not concerned about my sinfulness. He just wants me to have a good life. He just loves. He's just about love. 
Jesus is risen and coming again, but the world would say he's dead and buried. Jesus is the giver of abundant life. The world, the spirit of the world is, is telling us every day he is not enough for abundant life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The world says there's many ways, many ways to God. But see, the result of this false Jesus is that we don't deal with our sin. We don't allow Jesus to deal with our sin. We end up trying to deal with our sin on our own, our brokenness on our own, our shame, our guilt. And we end up saying, you know what, let me just adjust reality and say, you know what, I'm okay. I'm okay, you're okay. When we know we're not okay. I had a good friend of mine who's a new Christian. He was here in the city, and he told me, before uh, he and I met, before he came to Christ, he was broken. He'd been through all kinds of abuse, all kinds of things. And he's like, he was searching. He was going to different churches. And he went into a church here in this neighborhood and he walked in and he's like, I was desperate. I needed help. And they kept telling me, you're good. You're good. You're right before God. God loves you. You're just like us. We're all the same. He's like, and the whole time I was thinking, I'm not. I'm not. The world tells us, the spirit of the world tells us, you're okay on your own. You can handle things on your own, but we're not. We're broken. And so the truth of who Jesus is brings redemption, brings forgiveness, restoration. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters, you know, it's Uncle Screwtape talking to his nephew. They're demons. They're talking about how can we trick humans. He says, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. Make little adjustments to it. And the moderation, listen, is always a shift from Christ-centeredness to self-centeredness, always. That's why we have to keep Christ at the center of our lives. When we don't, we replace repentance with affirmation. We trade confession for compromise. We exchange holiness for temporary pleasures. Ephesians 5, 6 through 10 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's make that the center of our lives. What is pleasing to God? And the final point here, walk in the truth. Walk in it. It's more than just debating intellectually or coming to some understanding myself. If my life doesn't reflect that, then I don't live as it's true. He says in verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, in Christ we have victory. We have victory over sin, over guilt, over the lies. We don't have to live a defeated life. Ephesians 4, I quoted this a little bit earlier. Oh, no, this is, I'm sorry, that was Ephesians 6. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.14 says this, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. This picture of turmoil, you see, tossed to and fro, carried about by different human logic. When we don't fix our eyes on Christ and make Him the center of our lives, we're just tossed by every, every new idea that comes. We aren't called to live that kind of life. We can live with confidence. There will be storms. In Jesus, doesn't mean that you miss the trouble, right? It just means that I fix my eyes on Him. I find my hope in Him. And ultimately, this is a spiritual battle. I said earlier from Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But then he says down in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. What he's saying is, put Jesus on the throne of your life. We've been talking about this this last month or so, about abiding in Christ. You know, we come to church, we go to small group, we even have D groups, we have, you know, great community with one another. But if we're not, if our foundation is not the truth of who Christ is, if our lives are not centered on him, then we're going to eventually get off track. Today, put him on the throne of your life. Take all the lesser idols off of the throne. Your ambition for success, your thirst for acceptance, fear of failure, your search for an identity, all of that is in Jesus. And these attacks take different forms in our lives. You know, as Christians, these days, we've made basically our battle, we see it as all coming from the government. The politics. The culture. Our relationships. Our friendships. Yes, there are attacks in the public arena. There are attacks by religion. There are many churches that are not preaching the gospel this morning. They're not teaching the truth of who Christ is. They're talking about Politics. They're talking about politicians. They're talking about war on social issues and all these other things. And they're, they're not making it about Jesus. With Jesus, everything changes. Without Jesus, nothing changes. Some of you this morning are disheartened. You're being attacked by depression. Satan would love for you to miss out on abundant life. Miss out on joyful, meaningful life with all the promises with all the hopes, with your future in the hands of God. He'd love to crush you with your past or the struggles that you're going through right now. He would love nothing more than you to get your eyes off of the love and power and promises of Christ in your life. So he'll use lots of subtle things in your life, things that we can, even as Christians, we think, well, that's a good thing. We can turn it. For error is what he's saying. It's a reality. 
Struggle is a reality of living in this life, right? But so is the Savior. He said, therefore, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Press into Jesus. Press into Jesus. Learn more about him. Don't just come to prayer to him to let, you, let him know everything you need. Oh, ask him to open your eyes to who he is. Now listen, finally, truth, if I'm walking in the truth, if I'm discerning the truth and walking, it demonstrates itself in love. In verse 7 there he says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He's not saying compromise. He's not saying abandon the truth. He's saying love with the love of Christ. Listen, culture is calling out for different things. And the church and Christians are trying to adjust to it as it comes. Listen, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. In Jesus, there is justice. In Jesus, there is righteousness. In Jesus, there is neither Greek nor Jew nor male nor female. Jesus is the truth. He is the answer. So in closing, there will always be a battle. Realize that today, Satan is moving. Today, evil is moving, seeking to bring condemnation on you and on me. He's competing. Our flesh is competing for our affection and crying out this this other small voice and loud voice in the world. Is Jesus enough? Settle it that he is. Is Jesus who he said he was? Did Jesus die on the cross? What he did on the cross in the empty tomb, is that enough? You have to settle that this morning. I pray that you'll find your satisfaction, your identity, your joy in him. And listen, Christian, if you're not building your life on the, on the truth of Christ, if he's not at the center on the throne of your heart, you're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be walking in step with your neighbors who are broken and lost and have, many of them never even heard the gospel, never even heard the hope and joy and peace that only Jesus can give. And we're, we're so worried about walking in step with them that we forget to be Jesus, the answer to their brokenness. Jesus told the story of a man who built his house on the rock, right? The solid rock and one who built their home on the sand. And then the storms of life come and one is standing strong on the rock and the other is washed away. The rock of Jesus Christ is where we build our house and it stands. Otherwise, you're just going to spend your whole life rebuilding and remodeling. Christian, as long as as long as you are compromising, getting your eyes off of Jesus, you too will be tossed by the wind and the waves. I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul prayed for those Christians there. I just want to encourage you this morning. I know that seems a little heavy, that message. I was not going to skip over that that section of what John wrote there because it is critical. 
It is critical for your life. This is not just some existential. This is not just something that's happening all around us. And this is happening within every one of us. These are these attacks. There's no one sitting in here who is so righteous that they don't struggle with sin. They don't struggle with temptation. It's a real battle. And the answer is to get my heart and life before Christ. Get into his word. Get into prayer. Sit with him. Ask him. Open your eyes to the truth of who he is. And put your faith in him alone. And walk in that. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. With knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it is the message of salvation. It is the message of redemption. It's the message of joy and hope and peace. But God, to receive that message, we must understand our brokenness. So many times we come to a religious service on Sunday morning, we put on our Sunday best and we get out all the right lingo, God, but we are broken. I pray this morning we would all be honest before you and lay our hearts before you because, God, there is an attack. Lord, we know that there's a battle raging in our flesh and in the world around us. And, Lord, we need you. We need your spirit ruling and reigning in us. That we might discern what is true and what is false. God, thank you that although there is a struggle in this life, we can have peace in the midst of the storm in Christ. And Lord, we know that one day, one day we will see you face to face and we will be out of the struggle. And for today, until that day, Lord, may we press into you. May we continually, daily, Recenter our lives on you, God, and walk in the light. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Christ's name.